0: I'm tempted to preach on all those promises in that hymn that was just sung by the choir, but that would just double our time here together, so I'll just, I'll just stick to one message. But that was a great uh, hymn of the faith. It was a great uh, presentation of, of awesome promises that God has for those who know Him and follow Him. Well, this morning we have uh, some great truths that we want to examine, so let's look at the Lord in prayer one more time and ask that He might just enliven our minds and get our ears attuned to what He has to say to us. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the promises in your word. We thank you that we can rely upon them because we know the one who made the promises. Now, Father, as we look in your word, might we understand truth that it might change our lives. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And, and the first service, uh, Matt, my youngest son, was uh, back to playing drums, and so he was in. Uh, What do we call this place? Laguna Woods, or you can call it Aliso Viejo. So he was actually in town after being gone for six months, and so he came in late uh, Thursday night, and we were excited to have him. His other brother, uh, Mark, went to visit him for about 10 days. Mark was gone for about six months, and Matt stayed a few more days later because he was trying to save some money. He slept in airports for three nights, so he could save $150. And I was thinking, well, you know, after it was all over, I was thinking, you know, if his dad loved him a little bit more, he could have sent him some money. But, but uh, it's good lessons to be learned. Uh, actually, even the, even when he was traveling, not particularly with the school, when he had some off days, uh, he would go to the, shall we say, the least expensive uh, places to stay you can imagine. They were the hostels, you know, you can youth hostels. They'll, they'll basically give you a bed for nothing. And so he was not quite nothing. That's why he slept in an airport. But... Uh, but it's interesting, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking of a story I, I read a while back where this man went, went to a motel and he had an important meeting the next day, so he had to get up at 6 o'clock so he could make sure he wasn't late for the meeting. So he called the, the desk and said, Will you give me a wake-up call. Well, he was so anxious about the meeting, he woke up on his own and he was getting ready and he kept waiting for this 6 o'clock call that never came. And just about 6.30 when he was to leave, there was the call from the office. And he was already angry at this point, and so he let the, the clerk know it and said all kinds of things. What if I had this or this would happen? In fact, in fact he said this, what if I had a million-dollar deal and I missed it because you didn't call me? What do you have to say about that? Well, the clerk thought for a moment, he said, if you had a million-dollar deal this morning, you wouldn't be in this motel. <laughs> Uh, that's the kind of places that Matt worked, uh, stayed in all six months when he was not with uh, the rest of the school going different places. Well, this morning we have uh, some places to travel. As we've been going through the book of Romans in this larger series in the New Testament, we're spending only a few weeks in each book, sometimes only one week in a book. And in the book of Romans, we're extending it because this is, as some call it, the Magna Carta of the New Testament. It's the the pinnacle of God's revelation as we see explain to us all that He has done uh, through uh, the outplaying of the story of the Gospels and then the instructions to to God's people, His church, to live out what God has for us. And and you can summarize the book of Romans in a variety of different ways. You can do it with five words that begin with the letter S. Uh, Paul speaks about sin in chapters 1 through 3. He speaks about salvation in chapters 4 through 5. He deals with spirituality or sanctification in chapters 6 through 8, and that little section 9 through 13, he talks about the sovereignty of God, and in the rest of the book, chapters 12 through 16, he tells us how we're to serve God. So you've got sin, you've got salvation, you've got spirituality or sanctification, you've got sovereignty, and then you've got service. Well, what I want to do this morning, in somewhat rapid-fire fashion, I want to talk about a big idea reviewed and then a big idea presented and we've been having some cracking on that, so you'll just have to get used to it. Is, is, we want to talk a little bit about salvation again, and then we want to talk a little bit about spirituality or sanctification. So if you have your notes this morning, we're going to be r- racing through some things, but hopefully not so fast so you don't get the main ideas. Okay, as we think about salvation, why is salvation is so critical is we got a problem. And we spent uh, one Sunday and then reviewed a little bit uh, on the next Sunday about that problem. And the problem is a three-letter word, and that three-letter word is sin. And we want to make sure really clearly what that word sin was, and so we define it in a variety of different ways. But sin is anything that, that fails to live up to God's standard. It, it, that's what does not characterize the character of God. It's living lives that don't please God. It's looking at whatever standard it is, and we don't even live up to our own standards, and falling beyond that standard, as far as falling short of that standard. It's those things that which we experience that natural feeling of guilt because we're guilty. And because of that, we need to be rescued, or we need to be saved. And that's the solution to the problem sin, which is salvation. But as we think about that, well, how do we get in on that? How do we get into a relationship with God? Well, there are a variety of different ways you can present that. One way is to just share the Roman road. In fact, that's why we're going to share that story again, but we're going to put it in the the framework of the ABCs. You could ask yourself a question, how can I experience peace with God? And we're not talking about that internal feeling of peace in which we all want, but how can I make sure God is not going to be facing me in my future with a hand of judgment? How do I know I'm on God's side and not somebody else's side? How do I know I'm at peace with God? Well, Romans 5.1 puts it this, this way, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But even as we think of that, that's kind of the conclusion of that kind of development of the the truth of how you get in on that and, and it makes the statement well how do we how do we get justified by God how do we get peace with him well if you just take the book of Romans you can have a roman road to the path of relationship with God and you can put it as simply as the ABCs A you need to admit your need and turn from your sin to the savior The Bible puts it in Romans 3.23, that very familiar verse, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that talks about sin and also gives you a definition of sin. It's falling short of the glory of God. And it even gives in Romans 6.23 the consequence of that. For the wages of sin is death. And even within that, however, it gives a clue as far as what we're turning from sin but turning to, it's now the Savior. For the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so as we think about that, no one comes to faith in relationship with God unless they want to. And to want to, you've got to admit your need. And when you admit your need, you've got to turn from something to someone, you turn from your sin, and you turn to the one who can save you from your sin, which is the Savior. But as you get to the point where you admit your need, now you've got to really turn to the heart of that solution, and it demands that you believe. You believe that Jesus fully paid the penalty for your sins and rose again. The Bible says in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates His own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so what we do is we look at our sin, we recognize, okay, I can can understand what Jesus did on the cross because I understand the purpose of why He went to the cross. He came to die in my place. I should have been on the cross. I should have been receiving the judgment for my sin, which was death. But He took the death for me. Theologians will say it's a substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, which simply means He took what you deserved. But then you need to come to the point, well, why why is that death, which was not unlike a lot of other deaths throughout history and even during that period of time, why is his death different than anybody else's death? Well, that's when you come to the point, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord or the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So acknowledging that Jesus not only died, but he had victory over over the grave, validating what he did on the cross. So how do you get peace with God? You admit your need, turn from your sin to the Savior. You believe that Jesus fully paid the penalty for your sins and rose again. And then you make a commitment. You commit to follow Jesus as Lord, God, and Savior. Romans 10.13 says, whoever, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Now each one of those verses can be preached a sermon about. But whoever, it's open to anyone and to everyone. But there is a demand upon our life. We gotta make the call. It's one thing to know something, it's another thing to do something about it. And again, as we understand belief, belief is not just intellectual agreement, it's deep personal conviction. It's coming from the point that you understand the facts, now you're gonna live according to the facts. You know, Matt disgraciously was able to travel for six months. Some people who want to travel. Don't travel, and you know why? Because in their belief system, they don't believe enough with a deep personal conviction that it is safe enough to travel on airplanes. Um, John, um, John Madden, uh, you know, the coach used to be of the Los Angeles Raiders, and then he became actually better known for doing video games and uh, you know, broadcasting games uh, for the NFL. He came to the point where he was so afraid of, of flying that whenever he would go from one game to the other, whether it was on the left coast and the right coast, from the east coast to the west coast, he would go by bus. Now, you can do that in the continental United States, but you can't travel overseas on bus. Now, you can take a slow boat, but if you're going to get to anywhere fast, you better get over your fear of flying. And even, that, even if you don't get over your fear, you're willing to have that fear... Dealt with by faith strong enough to get you on that bird that gets people from one continent to the other. Some people believe intellectually in a plane, but they won't get on it. Some people believe in Jesus, but they won't get on that plane to get to heaven because they won't surrender their life to live according to what it means to follow after Him. So how do people get in on a relationship with God? How do people get peace with God? They admit their need, turn from their sin to the Savior. They believe that Jesus fully paid the penalty for their sins, which is their problem and all of our problem, and believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And then they make a commitment to follow Jesus as Lord, God, and Savior. And and, and how they make that happen is they simply express that to God. Now, when we express things to God, we simply talk with God. Now, when we talk with God, at least in religious circles, we call that what? Prayer. And prayer is simply saying, God, this is what's on my heart, and this is what I, I want to communicate to you, and I want to know you. I met my need. I believe in you, and I commit my life to you. So that's what it means to get in on salvation. There's a problem sin, and then there's a way to deal with that sin, the solution, is salvation in Jesus Christ. But now what we want to do is, that's the big idea reviewed. How about the big idea presented? How do we live this out? And just for free here, salvation, another, there are all kinds of words for salvation in the New Testament. One word for salvation in the New Testament is justification. That's when God declares us righteous. And we're going to make a distinction this morning between justification and sanctification or justification and, and spirituality. Justification happens at a point in time, as I don't know, it might be J. Vernon McGee says it this way. You're either a saint or you ain't. You know, either you're in God's family or you're not. All right? and, and that can be defined at a moment. We all know the story, of, or heard the story at least, of the thief on the cross in which Jesus said to him, today you should be with me in paradise based on his faith. Well, there wasn't a whole lot of living out that faith because he was going to die in a few moments. But for most of us when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, there are some days, weeks, months, years later. And what are we supposed to do in the meantime between the time when we become a child of God and he, does, he beams us up to be in heaven? How do we live it out? Justification or salvation happens in a moment in time, but spirituality or sanctification happens over a period of time. God makes us righteous when we're justified, I mean, declares us righteous. He makes us righteous when we're sanctified, where we live out what was placed in our lives. Well, this morning, that's what we want to talk about. We want to take how Paul puts that together. Before I do that, I want to share with you that there are some people in this world that are, are trying to say, I, I don't want it anymore. In fact, any identification with it that I used to have, I, I want to somehow throw that away. Now, we're all familiar in a place like this about baptism. Baptism is a time when a person who has come to faith identifies with Jesus Christ and their relationship with God in a public way by following the Lord in the waters of baptism, uh, have you, you've heard of baptism, but have you heard of de-baptism? De-baptism is now kind of the biggest thing, or one of the biggest things going around, particularly in the United States. A de-baptismal certificate printed on parchment, embossed with a gold seal and hand-signed by a minister-turned-atheist, is the latest rage among people who want to wash their hands of religion. They're just flying out the doors, said Annie Gaylor of the Wisconsin-based Freedom From Religion Foundation. They're very, very popular. We've had groups that get together and pass them out in mass and then sign them together. The document has a blank line for a name declaring that the signer, having been subjected to a Christian baptism before reaching an age of consent, whatever age that could be, uh, hereby officially renounce that primitive right and the church that imposed it. Uh, Such a deal. The documents are two for five dollars. Dan Barker, the foundation president and then a an minister, uh, said, Many hang a framed copy on the wall and mail the other to the church, asking to be removed from the rolls. What are these people? Most of them are those who are rejecting their childhood religion and resent that they were counted as church members because of infant or early baptism. That really gets them. Now, whatever age, whether it was infant baptism or... or And that's the problem with infant baptism. But even later on, if if a person, an emotional moment, or maybe they thought their parents were forcing them, or friends, or whatever the peer pressure was, and got baptized, identified as a a believer in Jesus. And now they look back and they say, you know, it it doesn't work. And probably for most of them, that's where it is. You know, I, I tried it, nothing happened, and so I want to get as far away from that as possible. Now, for... The vast majority, if not all of them, they never got the real thing. You know, they got a piece of paper or they got wet, but they didn't really get a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, Others might be going through a period of time where they're just frustrated because they they can't seem to, to get it to work. And if they can't get it to work, then why even try? Well, Paul, I think, deals with that when he tries to explain to them what spirituality or sanctification is all about. And so this morning, we're going to try to give you some practical handles for that. So if you have your outlines, they'll help you kind of follow along. As I just try to share with you some key passages that I think really help explain what it means to live a spiritual life or sanctification. How to be set free from the power of sin. You see, at salvation, you're set free from the penalty of sin. You don't have to face judgment if you truly know Him. But how about the power of it? How about getting it to, to work in your life? How, do, how can you overcome sin and, be, and become more like the Savior? What is it going to require? I'm going to give you five principles, six principles this morning. And these are crucial, I think, in understanding the daily grind of walking and living for Jesus. What is it going to require? It requires wanting to. It requires knowing, believing, choosing, struggling, and walking. And that's what we're going to try to hang our hat on this morning in terms of of what it means to live it out. If you're going to walk with God, and it's pretty elementary, and I'm pretty simple as a preacher, you've got to want to. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, some people get in on it and they go, well, I might try. I'm not sure it's really for me. Look it. If you're playing games with God, uh, that game's not going to be won. It, all, it already begins at the beginning. You've got to really admit your need, not just uh, the thing, in one option uh, in comparison to other options. You've got to really want to. And Paul kind of gets at this kind of backhanded in, in Romans chapter 6. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Hey, this is a pretty good deal. All the things I've ever done that does this please God. When I say a simple prayer, then everything I've done in the past, present, and future are forgiven. Well, why don't, if, that, if that shows God's grace, why don't I just keep on doing that, okay? And, and then God can keep showing His grace. And in verse 2, he's, Paul almost in, in anger says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin still live any longer in it? And he's really speaking to the want to. If you really got the real thing, not just an inoculation, but you got the real disease, yet really got Jesus, you're going to be so overwhelmed with gratitude and thankfulness that you'll just want to please him in everything you do and are. It was unimaginable for him to think that anyone who got saved from sin wanted to continue to live in sin. It makes no sense to him. It's the want to at the very beginning. You wouldn't want to go back in that. And I remember in the life groups I was in this last week, when we asked kind of a question related to that, how, would, uh, how, how should you respond to such a great gift that God gives us in forgiveness? And the immediate word for gratefulness and thankfulness, uh, the one that hit me was humility. It would just really humble me that, that God would do for me what I couldn't do for myself. But actually, I think the best response was, and it happened in both groups, they said, I'd just be filled with joy. I mean, it doesn't get any better than this. If that's your experience, then you've, you've already crossed the first threshold, the step. If you want to experience God work in your life, you've got to really want to. And that want to comes from thankfulness and gratefulness and humility and even more so from joy. This is the source of greatest joy. It's unimaginable that you wouldn't want to get more of it in your experience. So Paul begins that, if you really want to live out the spiritual life, become more like Jesus, you've got to really want to. And I'll just say this for free. One of the ways to know that you're truly saved is you have that want to. If you don't have that want to, that's a big red flag. I'm not saying sometimes we struggle with it and we rebel a little bit, but I mean, at at the deepest core of who you are, if you don't really want to, to live out God's plan for your life then you better get back to step one and make sure you know him. Because it's just, it's just a natural response for such great grace. But then he goes from a desire mode of wanting to. Then he goes, what I would say, into a knowledge goal. And that, that's found, not actually in your outline, say I have Romans 6, 4, and 5, change that to Romans 6, 6, and 7. He says in Romans 6, 6 this, knowing this, so it's a knowledge, informational principle, That our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Just taking the last part of that verse first. You know some people in this world who who don't sin anymore? And you're thinking, man, I don't know anybody who doesn't sin. Well, I know some people in this world who don't sin anymore, those are people who have died. They, they can't sin anymore. They're, they're, they, no matter how much you tempt them, they're not going to sin anymore. I mean, I have a real problem with sweets, but when I die, you can tempt me with anything you want, and I'm not going to eat any of it, all right? And, and then he said, well, why is people who are walking around, who are not physically dead, um, freed from sin? Because you need to understand that there has been a part of you that has died. And what he's saying, you've got to know this or you're not going to experience this. And what is, that old, what is that part of you that's died? Your old man or your old self. On the cross, not only were your sins paid for, but there was a part of you who were, was there that died. And what died was your old self. Some call it your sin nature. And if some of you are putting red flags, how is this supposed to work? Just keep listening to me as I keep preaching this morning. I want you to understand that as I understand scripture is that when we become a child of God, not only do we get addition, and that's how I used to think the Christian life was. Well, when I became a Christian, Jesus came into my life. You know, as simply as I put it, well, I didn't have him in there, and now I've got him in there. So something was added to my life. Well, I want you to understand the scripture says you not only get something added to your life, you get something subtracted. It's your old self, your old man. Now, again, we could preach for a long time on this and a variety of other passages I take to you, but if you take the simple words, as Paul says in Romans 6, verse 6, your old man is dead. And because of that, you should be freed from sin. So there's something subtracted, your old life, your old man. Remember 2 Corinthians 5, 17? Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. And it says, the old things have passed. Away, new things have come, so you got to know that. But then, tied to that is you got to believe that. And again, believing is not just knowledge; it's not even agreeing; it's living it out. You act the fact. And so, in Romans six eleven, this is the next principle: so you got to believe, or believing, sin has no power over you, but God does. Look at verse eleven. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, the key word there is reckon in the New King James, New American Standard, it says consider yourself dead. I put the word believe here, is you've got to believe what you know. You know, the Bible says, there's been some kind of subtraction, whatever it means, that your old man has died. And because of that, you've got to Live like that is true. Believe that is true and live like it. Reckon yourself, consider yourself dead to sin. Now, stopping here just for a moment, you're thinking, well, how does that work? That doesn't make any sense. I'm still sinning. So if I'm dead to sin, that old nature, that sin nature is gone, then why do I keep doing what I'm doing that would not measure up to God's standard? It's because we believe the lie and live out the lie. Now, I hope this illustrates it. Some of you have heard this story before, but when I worked uh, between summers of, of my college degree, one summer I worked at a library. And when I worked at a library, I had the, the worst possible job. I was stacking books up there, making sure they were alphabetically in order and making the numbers in order. And for a, a person like me, that is one of the most frustrating jobs because you can't do that job fast. Because the faster you do it, the more errors you make. So you've got to really patiently make sure the numbers are right and the, the letters are right and all that kind of stuff. And the other, I was really low on the totem pole. Uh, remember when you had to play music and you couldn't put an iPod in or any of those kind of things? You, you had actually these circular things went around and around and around. Well, in this library, they had you know, records. Anybody remember records? Well, my, my responsibility was to clean the records. with rubbing alcohol. And then people would come in, and they would want to rent an album and play it. So my job is, whenever I was in the library, if someone was at the desk, because all the records were in the back, and those were all clean because I had already cleaned them. But as, as I was stacking the books, uh, they would make a clicking noise. Remember clickers? I don't mean remote, remote controls, but, you know, you know, those kind of things. You just kind of you know, punch them. Whenever that sound would go off, I would to run from any part in the library, go back to the desk, find out what album they want, get it, and then give it to the person that who wanted to sign it out. And then I'd go back to what I was doing. But it didn't matter where I was or how many times I had. Whenever that sound went off, I was like Pavlov's dog. I had to go run to, the, run to this, the desk and go get the album. Well, I did that for about three or four months. Then I well, fortunately got another job and uh, was back to school. But a, a few months later on, I went back in that same library, and I was sitting and you know, reading a sports illustrator or whatever it was, and I heard that sound go off. You know what I did? I got up out of my seat, went to the back thing, got the... No, I didn't quite get to the album, but I started moving, all right? Now, that old boss was dead. Okay? It had no power over me. There was, there was no paper trail where I was compelled to do that. It was simply the habits of the old life that brought that back to memory, and it had conditioned me. And so now we get to the active part of what we do. God has done his part. We don't have that old life compelling us to do that which is wrong. We, we sinned before we became a Christian by nature. We now have a new nature. We don't have two natures battling. We have one nature. But we do have other things that contribute to us to bring us back to our old life. And, and the reason that's so important is that we can't, we can't rationalize the things we do that are wrong So say, well, that's, this is the way I am. That's, that's just kind of how I'm wired. That's. Who, who I am. I can't help myself. We, we can't say that anymore because Paul says, by inspiration of the Spirit of God, that we are, we are dead to sin. Our old man is gone. It has no more power over us even though at times we feel that and are compelled to act according to our old life. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to make some choices. And, and I put it this way. We need to choose, other places it says yield or present. You could put however you want. We need to choose to go where and do what is pleasing to God. And I take that out of Romans 6, 12, and 13. Paul writes this way. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, it's kind of conflict language to simply say this as we go through life with a new nature, we still live in an in a, in a old body. Now the body itself is not sin, but within our body we have the remnants of the old life. We have all the memories and all the things that, that has uh, you know brought us down. And we're going to look at that in a moment and as we look at, what, at Paul's experience in Romans chapter 7. But you know, everything that's in our brain is still part of our body, and we remember uh, the, the things we used to do, and it just seems to drive us down like a rut in the road going down that certain path. And what Paul is saying, now you need to be actively taking those things that you used to do and present them to God and not to your old ways of life. Remember that old, old song, I don't know if it, first or I don't think anyone knew it, but remember that song that used to be Be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little ears what you hear, be careful little uh, hands what you feel and touch and your feet where you go. For the Father above is watching down below and be careful whatever you have, what you do with it, all right? Well, the, the big idea there is that when we allow our eyes to go places where it shouldn't go, it's going gonna, it's gonna to impact us. When we begin hearing things we shouldn't hear, it's going to change what's going on internally. When we let our hands play with the devil's postpile, we're going to get involved in stuff that's not good. When we take ourselves places that are, are, are harmful to us, it's going to destroy us. And what he says is, take the members of your body as instruments of righteousness rather than unrighteousness. Now, that's not a legalistic thing here. That's simply saying you need to identify the things in your life that you fall to and then be very careful for you that maybe there's some places that other people have freedom to go, but that's not where you ought to go. Maybe some people have some freedom to do some things that are maybe just neutral, but that's not where you ought to go because it brings you down. And it could be in any area of life. It could be some things that are true about the tongue. Maybe there's certain things that you like to talk about, and you know, once you go down that path, your, your mouth begins going a lot farther than it should, and you just have to restrict things you say. Maybe there's certain programs um, that once you start hearing them, they, they just drive you uh, without not trusting God, but being just overly overwhelmed by the problems in this world. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's It's attitudes, or maybe it's certain people, and you have to choose, yield, present every part of your life to God, and don't go down a path in which the patterns of the old life will affect you in a poor way. For some of us, just being around just the right people, people who might, the Bible says that the church is a place where we ought to be provoked to love and good deeds. I mean, there are people in my life, when I'm around them, it just makes me better, and I need to be around those kind of people. That's an active positive thing. And there are other people that will maybe bring me down. So as we think about living out the Christian life, it begins with wanting to. Then it's about something you've got to know that your old self has died. You've got to believe that is really true, that you're freed from sin. You've you got to choose now to, to do those things that are going to not allow you to fall to the patterns of the old life, but take on new patterns driven by God's nature in your life. But there's a fifth word I want to share with you this morning, and that's, that's the word struggling. And we need to really go fast right now because I'm struggling with that clock. It, is that it's not going to be easy. And I think some of the people who want to have a de-baptismal certificate is because they thought the Christian life was going to be easy. Where they got that, I don't know, but it wasn't out of the Word of God. And, and it's not easy for you, it's not easy for your loved ones, and we go through all kinds of challenges in life. Listen to Paul, Romans chapter 7. We're going, to say, we're going to run this. Romans 7, 17 and 18. Uh, look at how he describes his experience. Uh, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells. For to do the will is present with me, but how to perform it, what is good I do not find. For the, the good, verse 19, that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. I mean... I've got this war going on. And this is the Apostle Paul. He says in verse twenty four, "O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I can't do it on my own. And then he goes to the sword, I thank God it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. So realize it's going to be a struggle. And why is it going to be a struggle? I put it this way. Struggling honestly with that part within you that remembers the sins of the old life, wants to do the sins of the old life, and was damaged by the sins of the old life in the flesh. Sometimes we struggle because of choices we've made. Sometimes we struggle because of choices other people made that have really warped our own experience, and to overcome that is just the of everything that we have within us. So what's the final solution? We, we, we need to learn to walk in a completely different way. And that's what Romans 8 is all about, and we don't have time to mind anywhere near the depths of that, but just to look on, on the, the, the great stuff on the surface. We need to walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Uh, let me just read two verses make a couple comments, and then we'll close. Romans 8, verses 4 and 5. Paul writes this, "...that the righteous requirement of the law..." might be fulfilled in us. Wouldn't you like to say, you know, I always obey the law. I always obey what God's plan is for my life. I always do what is right. He says that can be accomplished uh, not according to the flesh, but according to the what? The Spirit. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. The Christian life needs to be lived by the power of the Spirit of God in your life. And so it begins with wanting, wanting to be what God wants you to be. It then goes from knowing that's possible because the old life has died. It's believing that is true. It's choosing to do those things actively that will, will cause you to overcome what you've been warped in the past with. It, it's struggling, realize it's not going to be easy, and then it's walking by the power of the Spirit, not just your own power. Let me give you one quick analogy. It's not real quick, but I'm going to give you an abbreviated version of it. Let's say you're driving a car and and your car, uh, your engine just dies, okay? And you you can't afford a new engine, but that's the only thing that's going to allow you to stay on the road. You can't, you're not going to buy a new car, you get get your own car, and so you need a new engine, but you can't afford a new engine. And so so what happens? Somebody comes alongside and says, hey, I'll buy you a brand new engine, free, gift. And it's one of those engines, like no other engine, it will last forever. It's a billion-year warranty, everything, everything. You know what that is? That's salvation. God says, I will pay the bill for the engine to run your life and it'll last forever. Free new engine. Now, the only problem is that your old car has a what? An old engine. So before he puts the new engine, he takes out the what? The old engine. So get the new engine in there. But now as the new engine begins to perform, there's a problem because there's some things still wrong. There's nothing wrong, I mean, fundamentally with a car, the body of the car. But there are a few things that are tweaked a little wrong. The alignment's out. So when you're driving, the engine's going great, but you're kind of going off the road, so you've got to get that fixed. And then you realize that all the mirrors are off, and so you're not even seeing clearly, so you've got you to get those fixed. And there's some things that, that, that aren't, I mean, that, it's nothing evil about the mirror, it's just twisted. And, and so God works a period of time, He begins to realign and twist the mirrors right, and all that starts to work. Uh, and that's that's the process of which God begins to change. But but, but then you know you, you as you're going along that, path, you, you're still struggling. And so, is it just because there's something wrong with my car? And you find there's other challenges out there. You ever felt that when you're on the road there's other challenges? Like for instance, are there are other drivers out there. Well, you know, part of our problem when we drive is not that we're not driving well; is the other people are all you fill in the blank. All right. Well. And God says, hey, you've got you to gotta drive a certain way because there are people out there that can mess you up. And, and then you realize that sometimes the roads aren't quite as even as possible. You know, they're not real smooth, and so you kind of, nah, nah, nah. its nothing wrong with your tires, it's the road. There's a lot of things out in the world, there's a lot of things out with people that can mess us up. And so that's, that's part of the challenge. And there's, sometimes we think there's people out there to get us, okay? And that's kind of like the evil one trying just to get us. And so we can still get past it, but it's it's a struggle. But there's one other element that we need to realize. Every engine has to have fuel in it, doesn't it? Yeah, a perfect engine, but if you don't put gas in it, it's not going to run. And See, that's what the Spirit of God is. It fuels the engine, that new nature. And when we depend upon that fuel in our new nature, then we have power to overcome. Still going to be a struggle, but we have power. But when we allow that engine to run dry, it's not going to run very well. In fact, actually, if you want to make the analogy slightly different, it's like, it's like well, you have, you have the fuel in there, but you've mixed it with things, things, other things that shouldn't be in there. See, the Spirit of God never leaves us, so in one sense, we never run dry, but we, we mix that fuel in our engine with other things that just causes it to knock and just not perform. And, and what we need is we need to clean out the, the, the stuff in there that's causing us to, to go astray, and then depend fully on the Spirit of God who lives within us. So what's the point this morning? God has given us a solution for salvation, but He's also given us a solution for sanctification or spirituality. And it's found in the truth, and it's found in a person. And what we need in a daily, fresh way is yield ourselves to the Spirit of God who lives within us. God, I don't want to live it on my own strength. I want to live it on the power of the Spirit because there are going to be struggles in life. But in the midst of all the struggles, your strength is sufficient for me. Let's pray. Father, it wouldn't take a whole lot for us to recount all the times post being a child of God, that we have failed. There's so many reasons why we fail, because of the patterns of the old life, the the temptations that are in the world, the, the enemy that is so out there to attack and devour us. But so often we struggle in ways that we should not struggle because we haven't depended upon the Spirit of God living within us and we haven't believed the promises of God. Father, I would pray for each of us this morning that in in a fresh new way, we might just make this a habit of our life to say, God, and God the Holy Spirit particularly, fill me, control me, allow me to depend upon you and not myself, and then use me for your sake. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As we close this morning,